This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of Potterooney. Yes, sponsored by Jack Cody's Irish Crafts Beer, which is brewed in the beautiful town of Drada. Jack Cody's Irish Craft Beer. Five different flavors. There's Duxy, Smiggy, Lazy Eye, Puck, and a new one that's out this summer called Samhain. So you can find out more about Jack Cody's on www.jackcodys.com. You can order the beer there or just go into your local pub or off-license and ask for Jack Cody's. Jack Cody's Irish Craft Beer. Well, I've had a lovely, lovely week just gone by. I was down in Cork doing... A, a new show in the Cork Arts Theatre. And I tried out some new stuff that was a bit personal. So I tried stuff about my um, growing up and my mother and her illness. And the first show I did was a lunchtime show on the Wednesday. And so I was trying out some new stuff at the top of the show. And I, for the first time in my whole life, I actually got quite upset. Not quite upset, but quite upset. Yeah, quite upset. On stage... And I had to take a breather for a few seconds. Felt like felt like ages, but it was a few seconds, and that was amazing because the audience stuck with me. And I and uh, someone in the audience said, "You know, thanks for sharing." And then I took a breath and carried on with the show. But that was the first time that's ever happened, and um, I um, well, I found it scary, uh, but also. It does lend itself to, I mean, making the show more interesting and perhaps a bit more personal for the audience, but also a bit more of a challenge for me. So that was cool. And as the week went on, it became more, it became much easier to do it. And there's still little bits that I didn't actually, I just, I didn't have the courage to do. There's one piece that I wanted to do that I still haven't done it, but I will do it. Um... When I'm doing a theatre show, it's not the kind of do- thing you can do in a bar. But um, when I'm doing a theatre show, and 
I brought my two kids down to uh, Cork and we stayed in a, an apartment there. And uh, so we had a good bit of time to walk around Cork City. And I've been in Cork City a lot doing gigs over the years, but never really had the chance to discover the uh, hidden parts of Cork or bits. I never really had the time. So I went down. Uh, well, obviously, I went up to the Shandon, up around that area, which I really like. And then. I went down that um, dock that's on the Shandon side and uh, found some lovely places. And I found a bar called the Friary, well, which was recommended to me. And they sell, sell a, a lot of uh, craft beer there as well. And they had a pint of stout, Lynch's stout there as well. Uh, I also found a cafe, a tea room cafe type slash cafe called Mio or Mayo. Could be Myo, M-Y-O, anyway. Um, I would go for Myo there, yeah. And uh, had some nice uh, teas there. I went back a couple of times and lovely brownie. Very good, thick, heavy brownie there. And an apricot cake one day. And a mixed fruity cake another day. And um, I had some tea in a kind of a gourd, which... Is uh, it's like a bell, uh, pear-shaped kind of thing with a, a small opening at the top, and then a mm, silver kind of straw with a a bit on the end of the straw that would uh, filter a, a filter on the end of the straw. Yes, that so that you don't get tea leaves, I presume, in your mouth. So that was good. That place was good. And I yeah, went down to Fitzgerald's Park and we were uh, uh, caught in the rain there. And I went for a wee in the bushes while impersonating a bird to... Um, yeah, I weed while impersonating a bird. Basically, I, I weed and went, Aha! just for the crack because my kids were outside in the path. But, and then I realised I was, I was quite near a couple who were sitting there having a romantic moment looking over the lake. And then a man rushed up beside them, started weeing, and gone. That was embarrassing. Um, but at least I wasn't arrested. So uh, I, I had a great time there. And then uh, on the Saturday night, we uh, we drove out to um, Townsland Carnival out in McCroom, set up the tent. I went back in and did a gig in... Um, Cork City, then back out uh, to Townsland, and that was good. Then on Sunday, uh, we got up, did a show from five. I hosted a show, a comedy show in the Village Hall tent from five till nine, which was cool. And we had like, oh, was Fred Cook, the comedy improv, Sharon Mannion, Alison Spittle, Joanne McNally, and Damo Clark. And Bernard Casey, and uh, it all went very well. It was very surreal. It's a festival that we started off, and the first I got on uh, stage and started yapping, and uh, a woman, uh, kind of a hippie lady, wanders in and giving out stickers with doves on them and going, I want to spread peace and love. And she kind of danced around in front of the stage, and that was interesting. That was kind of, that was when I was thinking, this could be this could be a tough gig. And then the guys came in that were dressed in uh, Irish football fan clothes. Uh, They'd come back from France and they were still wearing the clothes. 
and one of them was very out of his head and just shouted Wonderwall. Kept shouting it throughout the first few, the first act, the poor, you know, my first bit and the first act, until he collapsed and unconscious. Um, we were doing the improv and there was the guy who got on stage and decided he wanted to join, just join in the sketch because he was an actor. He informed us all he was an actor. He was into uh, seasons of Game of Thrones as an extra. That's not an actor. That's an extra. Um, uh, he was odd. He was odd. He had a, he had a little bag dangling from his belt with a lime in it. And he had about five jackets on, which he proceeded to take off when he got slightly offended. And there was a moment. There was a moment there when I thought it was going to all kick off. But then again, he's an actor. What's he going to do? Well, he's not an actor, actually. Whoever you are, you're not an actor. You're an extra. So uh, that was it. And that went uh, grand. That one, that was great, though. And then Fred Cook was brilliant. And, and Alison Spiller was fantastic. And Damo and Joanne, they were all great. It was just... Bizarre. It was muddy, muddy again. Three festivals in, of of mud in a row: Body and Soul, Glastonbury, and Townlands Festival. So got home and Monday did the improv in the international, the twenty fourth anniversary of the comedy improv. Twenty four fucking years it's been going on every Monday night in the international bar and then we had a night out and then on Tuesday I did a gig for uh, John Cleary who was doing a course for homeless people a stand-up comedy course for homeless people and he got myself and Sharon in to do a bit of stand-up to give these people a guess an idea of what you could do as a stand-up and that was uh, that was great though it was so full there was such an energy there and um, uh, we were there for an hour and and you got to know all these people and uh, and then it was just really odd when you thought oh when they were leaving that some of them might have been going right onto the street to, to sleep on the street or to live on the street or certainly if they were going to a hostel that night they may be on the street later on in the week and that was pretty um, shocking really because as you um walk around the streets and there are people begging, sitting there. You tend to just not really take in that they are an actual person. But when you've done a gig for them and then you get to know them and then they're coming up to you and they're shaking your hands and you're talking to them and you go, well, these are real these are people and they have to sleep on the street. Um, and fair play to John Cleary for doing that course uh, with the these uh, people and giving them something or a chance to talk and use comedy as a way of expressing what's going on in their lives and I'll be dropping in one of the Thursday afternoons during that uh, in the next six weeks and uh, be performing at the end when they are performing as well for their own families so that was quite good yeah so right coming up we've got uh, Dave Johns Dave Johns is a friend of mine and I did a play with him called the well the play of the Shawshank Redemption and we shared a flat and in Edinburgh during that run and he has been cast as the main character in Ken Loach's latest film. It hasn't come out yet but it's won the Palme d'Or in Cannes so I um, talked to him on the Skype. We had a great chat and uh, well here we go. This is the chat and I'll see you on the other side.
Okay. <laughs> right, so what we're going to do, so you're going to start now. I'm going to start talking. Are we is recording? Is it live or is it recorded? It's recorded, yeah. It's not going out live, no. Okay. Yeah. How many listeners have you got in your eye? I don't know. Let's just talk. About three. Three? Yeah. Three? <laughs> I, I, don't do any, I, I don't do any less than four. Uh, well, look at it. I'll listen twice. And, okay, uh, right. That okay. Will bring it just okay, over. let's do it then. Come let's on. just over. Dave, uh, so, I mean, it's been uh, a good while since... Well, actually, I saw you at Christmas time at... at um, the, Ahmed Jalili's. Ahmed Jalili's party. Yeah, 50, party, yeah. 50. Aye. Yes, we did, yes. And we had that taxi debacle. <laughs> yes, Adam Bloom. Yes, we did have that. Yes, and it was full of uh, stars like um, like um, Dave Bedil and uh, and um, and uh, and all that. Dave Johns yeah. and Dave Johns. Yeah, 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 yeah. <coughs> so um, yeah, but um, I just uh, quickly let's go back to your uh, started out as a comedian. Now, when you started out in doing stand up, before that, you were working what you were working uh, on building or something like that was it well well well, well, well i was a bricklayer but then i bricklayer. got a job um but then i got a job in a theater which is a local theater in newcastle and i was in the fly floor um sort of and that's why people call me davy show tunes because i used to be up in the fly floor um just leaning over the railings watching musicals and so i subliminally learned all the all the all the songs from musicals yes we belong to the land and the land that we belong to is grand and when i say i don't know why I know songs from Oklahoma yeah. and, and all the musicals, but it's because I was up on the fly floor listening to them. So I was a flyman, really, after I was a bricklayer. And, oh. I, started, and then I started the Comedy Cafe in Newcastle in, uh, 19, uh, in 1989. In 1989, I started the, uh, um, um, the comedy club next to the theatre. Mm. And, and that's how I got into stand-up comedy. And so the, when you started off the club, were you just running the club or were you Basically doing... what happened was I went down one weekend to the comedy store in London and I saw a show down there in 80, 80 late 88, and it was amazing. And uh, Owen O'Neill was on and, and a few others, and it was in the, in the Rubber Bishops, Bill Bailey, when he was in his double act, the Rubber Bishops. Mm. And I was blown away by it, and I thought, wow, this would be great. And the theatre had a, um, had an empty room next door, that a, a restaurant that they never used. And I thought, oh, God, people would love it up here. So I started a comedy club, and I didn't know anything. So I got in touch with Joe Brandon, Jack D, and I said, do you want to go up and do my comedy club? And they went, yeah, we want 100 quid each. And I was like... Oh, all right, and so um, <laughs> so, so I um, so I uh, I did I did uh, so, so I did some hand handmade leaflets and handed them out round the place. Went to students' unions and that, and I started my first night, which was a Saturday night, and that was in nineteen March nineteen eighty nine, and it sold out. It just went bam for some reason because Jack and Joe were just starting to, uh, like you know, Joe. I think by nineteen eighty nine she just started doing, um, um, sort of, um, getting a bit of uh, so 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 it all just went from there basically. And within about five or six weeks, it was sort of it was really a popular club, you know. And that's how I started. And I had to compare because I said, "Have you got a compare?" And I went. Oh yeah, I have, and I, and I just had to do it myself. So that's basically how I got into it. And Joe Brand takes takes the takes the piss out of me even from now on by 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 saying how dreadful I was on that first night. Even now she takes the Mickey out of us, which is good. Yeah, <clears throat> and that club was that's still running, isn't it? The Comedy Cafe. Isn't it? No, 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 no. That that was the one in London. Mine was mine 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 predated the comedy. 
cafe in London by about two years, I think. All right, okay, yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, eventually, you presume you started uh, doing gigs around the country yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well because Joe, I had, I had two two nights, Fridays and Saturday night, every week comparing, I learned pretty sharp. I had stage time, and that's, as you know, is mm-hmm. the most important thing for any young comic, even when they're developing their material, is getting enough stage time. Mm-hmm. So so by the time I started to go down to do open spots in London, I was sort of, I'd had about two years' experience working every night, you know, so so, so I started doing, um, I think I did my first open spot about 1990 at the Comedy Store in London, you know. Yeah, and then, uh, how long was it then till you, you started working on the Tube, was it as a warm-up comedian on the Tube? Oh yeah, I did, I did, I did, well, well I did the Millennium Tube um, in 2000, and Prince was on, Yeah. and they said to me, uh, they said to me, uh, you haven't got to uh, look him in the eye, and you can't speak to them. You've just got to, you know, don't don't have any conversation with them. Don't look at them. And I'm like, what do you mean, don't look at them? I go, if Prince is standing, I cannot not look at him. And they're going, and they're going well, 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 you're not supposed to. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So I was on and I had and, to do the walk. Were, were you not meant to mention, there was a, part, a bit of your material you were told not to use. Is that correct? Well, well, what happened was I was supposed to cut, because Annie was called the artist. Oh, so yeah. so everybody's calling him the artist. So I went on to do the warm-up and I went on to the, to the, to the studio floor and I had like a big stage thingy and Chris Moyles, I think, was or Donna Air. One of them, it was Chris Moyles and Donna Air were presenting the Millennium Tube and I had to introduce them, but I had to do a warm-up and I went on and I said, uh, good evening, uh, I'm Princess's dad. And he's and he's and he's and he's asked me to come and ask a few, say a few words to you. You can see this audience go. You can see them all going, Princess Dad's a Geordie. <laughs> I like him, I like him, I like and then and then basically so so basically I did a bit of warm up mm. and then I had to bring Donna Air and Chris Moyles on and then I went, Ladies and been Donna Air or whatever it was. I think it was Donna Air because he because John and uh, and like she came on and uh, to introduce Prince and I walked off stage. Prince was standing at the side of the stage with the band and I walked past him, I punched him in the arm and I said Keep it tight, mate. <laughs> and I got absolutely in the dr- What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and and you know, and Prince's was so skinny. You know, he's like he's like a he's like made of pipe cleaners. He was like he was like made of pipe cleaners. So you know, I nearly knocked him off the stage by punching him in the arm. Yeah, poor old Prince. You know, I- you know. And and uh, did, did you see David Bowie back in the day? Back in the I old- did see David Bowie, yeah. and David Bowie ruined my. David Bowie ruined glam rock for me. Mm. Why is that? I was at the, um, I was at the, um, it was, I, was it 70? It was just, it, it was a Spider from Oz to us. It must have been early 70s. And he was at the, um, he was at Sunland Empire. And, uh, and uh, I was in the front row. And he came up and he put his foot on the monitor singing. And he had one of those, you know, that's like all in one suit he had where he had one long oh, leg. One, one leg was covered leg. and one was... One yeah. was like a short leg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and, he, and he put his leg up and one of his balls popped out. <laughs> and it, it didn't have any glitter on it. <laughs> and that just totally... Just ruined. Well, well, I said, like, I just imagine David Bowie in the dressing room going to the lads when they're getting all their makeup on. He goes, do you think I should put glitter on my balls? And they're going, <laughs> Nah, 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 nobody's going to see them. And then all of a sudden, he sticks it up. And, and it, all it was was a bloke's knacker. 
It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't Ziggy, and that spoiled it for me because I believed it was Ziggy until I saw his big old hairy nudge up, and then I just went that, and, and that's when glam rock died for me. Yeah, this was very sad. Um... It's a sad, awful, sad affair <laughs> for the girl with the mousy. Oh no, oh, mousy, what's that? Mousy ball. You're not. You're not Ziggy. You're just a fella. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, I shared a uh, uh, we sh- well we shared a flat uh, in Edinburgh. We shared a lot of things together. We me did and actually, you. yeah. Uh, doing um, the Shawshank Redemption, yeah, that was the Shawshank. Yeah, Redemption. Yes, but but, but but that was something that you so you uh, had adapted that with Owen O'Neill. So mm. you adapted it to a stage play. But before, what was the first one you've done? Yourself and Owen O'Neill have worked a lot. Uh, adapt or you know well, well what we did was Owen Owen had an idea to do 12 Angry Men it's his favourite film mm. and he got Guy Masters involved in in 2003 uh, um, he said I'd love to do it with comedians so they got the rights and they sort of and then they got a load of comedians to do the 12 jurors and Bill Bailey was in it and me and Phil Nickel and uh, and Ian Coppinger and uh, it was in and uh, Kev Eldon, and there was a load of comics in it, and like I say, Bill Bailey, and we did, and we did it up in Edinburgh, and everybody thought they're going to make a right arse of this, basically, mm. and uh, we blew everybody away, and it was the biggest selling um, show that year in 2003, the Assembly Room, which couldn't get a ticket, mm. got five star reviews across the board. And uh, people went mad for it. So then I started that thing in the early, like from 2003 to 2007, we started doing um, shows with um, with with comedians in it. We did One Flew Over the Cougar's Nest, which went to the West End, and that had Christian Slater in it. And you uh, and uh, you, you were remained in it as we went to the West End. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went. Yeah, but I could only last about six months after that. I just wanted to get out because doing a play every night, the same thing. So basically, we did that, and then we did the odd couple. And then me and Owen were just sitting once, and we said, think of some other ones. And we said, what about the Shawshank Redemption? He goes, well, it's not a play, it's just a screenplay, but maybe the rights are available. And when Owen decided to, um, he says, oh, he says, I'll see. And um, Stephen Kingsfield come back and said, yeah, the rights for the book, uh, for the short story are available. Now, we thought that the film company would have had that all tied up, you know? Mm. Um, so we got the rights, and then it took us about sort of six years to sort of like, you know, get a producer on board and write the script. And then uh, we did it in Dublin at the Gaiety. Which which it went it went it, it sold amazingly over in Dublin and the mm. Gaiety. We did about four or five weeks in there, and then and then it was too big a cast. We had twenty in the cast. It was too big, mm. and it went to the West End. And it sort of like the, the in two thousand and eight the uh, recession hit, and you know twenty actors in a play is just suicide in the West End. You know, yeah. I mean get away with it in the art. So basically, it came off the West End. So we rewrote it for nine actors. And then we did it up in Edinburgh. It's stand, and that's when you came in. Mm. You were brilliant in it, Joe. Oh, thanks, Dave. Thanks. No, 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 you were. The, Rico, the Irishman. The what? <laughs> Rico, the Irishman. Nobody questioned that you were supposed to be Puerto Rican. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a Puerto Rican accent I was doing. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was a Puerto Rican or a Limerick accent. I yeah, 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 yeah. It was great crack doing it. 
And, yeah. and sharing the flat was interesting. That was the smallest flat. Remember that flat, the kitchen. That, you that flat even, was you, tiny. It was the tiniest even... flat. It was. It was like. It was like. It was like. A, it, it, and it got smaller. <laughs> As the, as the month it, it went seemed on, to get, as the month went on, it got smaller and smaller and smaller, and it was it, it, it actually was the tiniest flat I've well, ever. You couldn't actually ever, sit down in the kitchen in you my had to bedroom, stand in and the you kitchen. gave me that bedroom, and in the bedroom there was just a bed. That's all you could get in. I had yeah. to, I just opened the door, and the bed was there. There was nowhere to put me clothes. There was nowhere to put anything. It was just a bed and a window, and so I had to put me clothes at the bottom of the bed. Yeah. And I, in, 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 you know, but I had my kids with me, and then you had your daughter with you for a while. I had my daughter and with me. And we used to like, go out for a walk, the two, and, and we were in actually the gay area, weren't we? So, so yeah, we so were like two like gay dads. Two gay dads with their family. Oh, look at the two gay dads with their kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, ah, it was lovely. Oh, and the Irish one looks a bit weird. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know, it was good. Yes. And we used to sing to a lure, a lure to each other. Ah, it was lovely. It was lovely. It was great. It was great, yes. Because yeah. you know my parents are from Ireland. I know, I know. You told me that. Dublin, you Dublin, spend, uh, you from, from Rohini. And you used to spend every summer in Ireland. Well, I'm going to get the Irish passport. I've applied for the Irish passport now that England's out of the bloody U- U- and the European Union. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I can get an Irish citizenship. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back, dear. Ah, Jesus, no, shouldn't ah, you? It's great to see you again. Oh, it's not Roy. It's not Roy, Sally, Roy. <laughs> It's not Royd. Right. Uh, but listen, let's talk about what you're doing now, because this is incredible um, that y- you got... Uh, <laughs> sorry, what are you laughing It's incredible. <laughs> no, it is incredible, and I'm so happy for you, but uh, how did it come about that you got this part in the, in the Ken Loach film, I, Daniel Blake? You are well, Daniel Blake, correct? Yes, I'm Daniel Blake. Well, yeah. well, basically what happened was I... I, I, Guy Morrison, who did 12 Angry Men, produced it, he sent a text me going, oh, th- this has just come in. They're looking for a, f- a guy in his late 50s to play the lead in this Ken Loach movie. It's set in Newcastle. I think you'd be perfect. And I just looked at it. I went, oh, I can't be bothered to do that, you know. And then my uh, Mrs. Jude said, uh, look, she said, send it. So I saw, so all I did was I sent a text going, hi, here's my website, I'm a comic. I think I'm about the same age as the guy you're looking for. And then about three weeks later, I got a phone call from from, from the cast and people going, oh, could you come in and meet Ken Loach? So I went in. I had a great meeting with Ken. It was great. Mm. Um, um, it was only 10, 15, 10, 15 minutes, but he, he loves comics. And I said to him, um, uh, Ken, I'd just like to say that I loved Billy Liar. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, I didn't direct Billy Lie. <laughs> and I said, I know, I just wanted to say I really loved it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I left, and then, he, and then he got me in for three castings uh, where we did, um, um, like, improvised scenes with a couple of the girls. Um, there was about five girls I worked with and, and the girl that actually got the part. Uh, in the in the film, but it, it, it was so funny because I was going in, I was only working with these two or three girls, so I was like in this bubble, just being called in. Oh, Ken would like to come in, so I was doing this all the time. But you weren't and cast, then, still. You weren't cast. It was no, no. Funny. And then he said to me, "Would you come up to Newcastle?" 
So I went up to Newcastle, he said, we want you all day and we want to try you out with a couple of these girls. So my mates were going, this sounds like you might have got the part. So I went there and there was the four girls, two, three girls I hadn't worked with and one girl, Haley, which who, who actually got the part, who I'd worked with on the first day. Mm. And we did some more improvisation. And then he phoned me up and said... Um, would you be in the film? And and when I went in the first day into the production office, there was all these pictures stuck on the wall of all these actors that had gone up for, Geordie actors had gone up for the part. And I was like, what, were they all up for the same part as me? And they went, yeah. And I went, wow, you know? Mm. And um, so basically, yeah, I got the part and... Uh, and it was amazing, you and know. Then, uh, so well, well, I hadn't done a film before. This was my first film, so I was really frightened when I first went in to do it. The first day was like, you know, because I got on set, mm. and it was all, you know, it was IIDB, and it was all Danny, and, and I thought, this is all here, and I'm the, I'm the lead in it. And it really, like, freaked us a bit, you know, because and the way Ken works is he doesn't give you a script. He only gives you a couple of pages of script every day. Yeah. So I didn't know the end of the film till 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 the actual last shoot day when he called me out and said, right, in this scene you have to say this to her because you know it's going to happen now. And I looked at him and I went, so I'm not Spider-Man. He went, no, you're not Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and basically filming it up in Newcastle uh, for <clears throat> um, eight weeks. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and you know, we had such a great time, you know. It was, it was, it was, but, but I, you know. And when, and you, when you get the, so you get the script on the day, and now no, you, you well, well, you get the script. They deliver the script through your door yeah. the night before. Oh, okay. Or, or maybe a two days before, and then you learn it, and then you go in, and you get a couple of days film, and then and then basically, you know, there's some days I was in, I was going, and we were doing the same scene, and I was going, how come you've got two pages of script, and I've only got one? Yeah. And that was because he was keeping stuff from me, you know. And so, would you be in a scene and? Uh, the other actor would come out with lines that you didn't know they were going to come out with? Or? Well, yeah, there were things that would happen, like in the food bank scene, I didn't know what was going to happen. Nobody knew except Haley what was going to happen in the food bank scene. So he gets that initial shock from you, you know? Hmm. And, and that's, that's what he wants, you know? scary for you? Or would you improvise? Or would you, what would well, well, you know, it's just, no, no, no. I, I mean, it's a script. Um, Paul Lafferty wrote the script. Most of the, it is a scripted, only you've got this freedom that he gives you mm. to, like, you'd have to be line for line perfect. And what happens is he, he, he works in real places, so he doesn't have a closed set. Like, for instance, Haley was, uh, we were filming in a shop, a cost cutters, and he doesn't shut the shop and put it with extras. He just uses a real shop with a camera in the corner. He doesn't tell you what lens you've got on it. And he'll say things like to Haley, okay, we'll do another take after this guy pays his gas bill. <laughs> so you're sorry, you've got real customers are coming in. Why yes, you? so basically, so what he does is he puts his actors in real life. And that's why Ken Loach's films, a lot of them, that like Kathy Come Home and all that, have a, have a real feel for it because you don't know who's real and who's an actor. And that's why it has that very much, you know, people sometimes think, is this a documentary or is this a film? You know what I mean, you know? Because it has that raw, real emotion, what he's after. And that's what Ken's after. He's after a real emotion. I mean, he, you know, he's using actors, but what he wants was he, he wants you to bring that real emotion to it, you know? Um, yeah. And he just wants that honesty, basically. That's what he go, goes out for, you know? You know? But, 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 but it's a fascinating way to work because, it's, because he's used the crew he uses for a long time, so it feels very safe. And he'll just say, like, you know, and, the, and what he said to me on the first, you know, I'd never done a film before. He said to me on the first day, this is what this is what you need to do, Dave. He goes, all you need to do in these scenes is, when you're doing the scenes, is just listen and react truthfully. Yeah, right. 
That's all. And it sounds simple to say that, you know, listen and react truthfully. But but then, you know, Ken's got that time. I would imagine it's different when you're in a big, like, you know, if you're in, in Doctor Who and they're trying to, or, you know, in a big sort of like, you know, or Game of Thrones, you probably don't get that time to, 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 to do that, you know what I mean, you know? But, but he always gives you that time to find find the truth in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's why his films have that sort of. And then we went to Cannes, and Mm. I never in my wildest dreams thought we'd win the Palme d'Or. That just blew me away, you know. That's incredible. Oh, it is. I mean, I mean, I I, 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 I mean, we went to Cannes. I'd never been to a film fest in my life, so I was like very. So I went, yeah, this is this. You know, I had a tuxedo and that. And the first day we got there, we we went uh, our premiere was the next day on the Friday. We got there on the Thursday night, and they'd already shown it. During the day, they'd showed two press screens. Mm. When we were having dinner that night, the um, the press guy came in and he said something really weirds happening. He goes, "There's there's been um, the the um, reviewers have been in tears watching it and out the press." And I went, "What was it that bad?" And he went, "No, he went, no. oh no, Dave's ruined Ken Loach's career, <laughs> you know, in his last in his last film." And um, well, what and was the, it like when you saw it for the first time? When you saw it back, how did you well, feel? Well, I saw it first in London, and, it's, mm. and I just sat hunched down in the in the in the seat, and I was just keep going. My head's massive. My head looks <laughs> the, back, the back of my head looks horrible. Oh, my voice is horrible, you know. But yeah. and then when I saw it in Cannes and at the premiere, because it was like you know they pick you up in a big black in limousine with blacked out windows and motorcycle riders, and you get to the Cannes sort of like to, to the red carpet, and and all these people are with all these punters out there with cameras, and the and somebody comes round in a flunky and he opens the door for you, mm. and you get out and they all go, <gasps> and then they go, oh, it's just some. Baldy Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it'd be George Clooney, you know. Yeah. And then you go, and then you go on the red carpet, and that's just insane. Like hundreds and hundreds of photographers in dicky boys and sort of like you know, like like you know, penguin suits, mm. taking flashes going off all over the place. And then we went into the thingy, two thousand people. Now, I'll, nobody will ever get to see a movie with two thousand people all in dinner suits. You sit down, the movie starts and you've got this massive big screen and you go, oh, my God, I'm in a real film. Mm. And within 10 minutes, I was watching it as a film because it was because I was in this big cinema. Right. And, you know, and when it started getting laughs, I thought, oh, they're quite like this, you know. And then at the end, when it finished, I mean, we got a 14-minute standing ovation. It was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable. I was gobsmacked. I never dreamed like that and then we came out and there was more photographers and then and then and then when we were announced that we'd won the the I mean it was great for Ken it's Ken is, is he the only director to have won it twice is that correct I think so yeah I yeah. think he's the only one to have won it twice you know yeah. he he won it for the um for the win the shakes the barley yeah and then he won it for this and it's just and what it means to the film is you know it's an important film it's about you know the benefit system in England that that has lost really the sight of the people it's supposed to be helping. Yeah. You know, we like you know in England we're really proud. I mean, one thing I can say we can be proud of our national health service, and our in our national um, in our welfare state. You know, because it was created at a time when you know people needed help, and what's happening is the Tory government here are undermining it. 
mm. and they are and they are trying to turn people against the National Health Service. Why these all these negative? Uh, you know, I'm 60 years of age and I've never paid a penny to get any medical treatment at all. Mm. You know, never. My daughter, when she had her accident when she was little, they looked after her fantastically well, mm. and you know, and I never paid a penny. I paid it through my taxes, and I paid it through you know national health insurance, uh, national insurance, and that is a proud thing to have. And same with the welfare. And what they're doing is they're turning people is scroungers rather than people who need help. And this is what the film's about. It's about a guy who's worked all his life is a carpenter. He's never asked anything for anybody. He has a massive heart attack. His doctor says he can't go back to work. So he naturally thinks, oh, well, I'm going to be helped. So he goes in and he has to go for this assessment that they put you through when you're sick to see if you're capable for work. And what it is, is it's a it's an outside agency that's employed from America, and they're just there to tick boxes. Mm-hmm. And if you don't get enough points, they go, well, you, well, you can't get your, your uh, sickness benefit, um, um, your income support. You have to go for jobs seekers allowance so you have to go on this ridiculous thing where you have to go and prove that you've been looking for work for 36 hours a week and there's no work and it's all zero contracts and and then you have to appeal and the appeal and what it is is it's just putting so many obstacles in front of people's place places that in in front of people that need help that it just becomes this this ridiculous Kafkaesque sort of nightmare and it's lost the mm. sight of the people that are trying to help just to tick boxes and then he meets this girl who's a single mum who's been living in a hostel in London they can't give her social housing because there is none in this country now because they sold it all off it's mm. all in the hands of privatisation and all the social housing that we had here my parents lived in a council house that's been all sold off and they've never replaced it so that's why we've got loads of homelessness mm. and this girl gets transferred up to a flat 300 miles away from her f- uh, from everybody for everybody she knows in 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 um in a um in a flat in in Newcastle and Dan befriends her and she's late coming to a meeting and basically um they cut her benefits mm. um off and the in the sanctioner and and basically so she's got no money and then it just their whole lives just start to fall apart Unravel, because it's right. ridiculous yeah. yeah and people can't believe that this is happening in this country and in, in, in you know the Tory and you know when this comes out. I hope it shames them, and it won't shame them because the Tories have got no shame. They basically see, as Ken Loach says, they they are making people believe that their poverty is their fault. You know, yeah. Well, that's, look, a, that's the American. Know. So it's kind of like the American attitude, where in America you're 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 poor because you're lazy is the attitude. You know? Yes, yeah, yes, you're is, poor because you haven't yeah, pulled you yourself. You haven't tried up. hard enough. Yeah, yes, or you yes, don't work hard. And it doesn't matter that when you go for these work, you're on zero hours contracts. Mm. And, and, and you know when you can't get like, like they might want you for like 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 the like, like you know how how long you're going to um um have work so you can't make any plans you can't like and then you can't get proper housing and then you're in the land of private landlords mm. who if you complain just chuck you out there's no tenancy um and it's all it's all it's all. It's all about keeping the workers well, I suppose, frightened. Uh, I suppose because if the workers are frightened, yeah. then they won't start causing trouble. Yeah, yeah. You know that's what it's about. You know, mm. you know, and and you know, I'd fight. 
I mean, I adore the National Service. And of course, the National Service, there is mistakes made because it serves nearly 850,000 people a day mm. go through the National Health Service in, in Great Britain, you know? Mm. And now what we've done is we've, we've like, you know, in its, in its, in its, in its, scandalous you know and instead of the Labour Party in England now fighting the Tories and calling mm. a slap election what they're doing is they're fighting amongst themselves you know it's insane yeah well the Labour Party seemed to have fallen apart well I but Blair yeah. destroyed the Labour Party what? didn't he Tony Blair destroyed the Labour Party. Oh, well, of course he did. But Tony Blair was like, like you know, like um, um, conservative flight. And what's happened yeah. now is now, now now they're all like since we've Brit exit, what they're doing now is we've got the country back for the Tories so they don't have to, um, nobody can can watch what they're doing now. You know, they can make, like, because, you know, there'll be austerity, there'll be, there'll be mm. tax rises, there'll be VAT will go up. And it's all, it's all, it's all, it's all, like because what it is is the market market that's all you hear the market yeah. why is it the market why why isn't it about people What's it, why what? isn't it about people yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean nobody look I know loads of millionaires most of my comedy friends are millionaires I have nothing wrong with people being rich there's nothing wrong with a, a company a person starting a company and making and 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 making the company well and, and making it do well and making money there's nothing wrong with that at all and when you start shouting they all go well it's just the, like they're just jealous because people are rich and it's not yeah. it's about being fair it's about if you've made a load of money and you've got a company you have a responsibility to pay your workers properly and to look after your workers properly yeah. and they go and there are good firms out there pay your taxes do, yeah, and pay your taxes. But 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 what happens is there there are good films out there. But if you don't have the infrastructure to to keep 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 at them, there will people will exploit their workers. And this is why you know Margaret Thatcher did a great thing. She turned everybody against the unions. Turned everybody against the unions. And you need unions. You, you need unions to work in in tandem with the employers. She also turned the working class against themselves. Well, this is what happens is what mm. you do is what, what what you do is you keep the working classes fighting amongst themselves. Mm. You have the people who are working go turn against the people who are not working and go, I'm not gonna work to leave to let them lie in bed all day. Mm. So what happens is the working classes start fighting amongst themselves and then we don't look up at the rest of them doing all the little tricks like mm. fiddling the LIBOR rate and, and doing all that, you know what I mean? And this is what happens all the time, you know? You know? But, I, but I think there's a change in Europe as well because I've been shown in this film, I've been going to film festivals all over Europe in the summer yeah. and people are fed up of austerity, they're fed up of, 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 of the ordinary person getting blamed for all the greed of you know, and, 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 and all this austerity. Yeah. You know, and and Europe, they have to write off Greece's debt. They cannot because they're putting all this money into Greece, and it's not going to help the infrastructure of the thingy. It's going to to, to pay off the bankers and the debt. You know. Well, they should they should have been left like Iceland did. Iceland left the the yeah uh, yeah, and that saved them in Greece. Mm. Greece, but, but you know, the, Greece the should have paid, is, I think Greece should have paid their taxes as well. But you see, well, Greece should have never been in Europe because Greece fiddled, fiddled to get in there. You know what I mean? Because European Union was so in, intent on bringing all mm. these countries in, they never well, realised. You maybe, know? Yeah. But I mean, I think there is a possibility. There's a. It could go both ways. It could go more. People could become more um, perhaps socialist. But I think what's happening is people are going more right wing, and 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 fascist groups are. Right well, 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 what happens is when people are frightened, mm. they 
they always turn right, right, because mm. the right comes in and tells him, just it's blame not the immigrants. Fault. It's the immigrants. I mean, yeah. that's the oldest <laughs> trick in the book. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so that's why the right, and, and this is why I hate this nationalism that's coming at the moment now, because nationalism, naked, unchecked nationalism, always ends in tears. Yeah, it always of does. Of course, you know, it it, it always right. does. It's, you know, but there you go. God, we've got really serious now. We have, we? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. I'll have what? But I can't wait to see the film. So when is the film on release? It's, it's Well, the film is released all over the UK on the 21st of October. Okay. But, but I'm sure that that's when it'll go and generally release worldwide, I would imagine, as well, you know. And at the moment, you're going to a lot of festivals over Europe? Yeah, well, I'm off to... You. I've just come back from Slovakia, and I'm yeah. going to Sarajevo, and I'm oh, going Sarajevo. to... Sarajevo? Oh, I'd love to go. Yeah, I'm going there, and I'm going to Poland, and I'm going to Moscow, and I'm Brilliant. going to... And then we're mm. going over to Toronto Film Festival and all that, you know, so that's just the... But, you know, people are... Um, you've a gig in the laughter lounge coming up. I'm joking. Well, yeah, it's getting a... Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, I haven't done a gig in Ireland for ages. No, I'm sure you haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I'm still doing stand-up. I love oh, are stand-up. you? That's my first love, you know. Yeah, so you're still doing gigs at the same time? Aye, I love... Oh, God, I love doing gigs. I'll never stop doing gigs. I mean, but, you know, even if I never did another film ever, 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 ever again, I've got... I'm that. a lead you... in a Ken Loach film a... that won the Palm d'Or. I mean, that is amazing. And, and you know, so so I could just go, oh well, well, well I'm happy with that, you know. Yeah, I'll just sit no, and, it's brilliant. I'll be sitting in the sheltered housing unit when I'm an old man, and I'll just be watching it, and I'll be going to, to all the helpers. Do you want to come in and see me film? And look, oh no, God, I hate walking past his room. He's always got that film on. He always wants you to come. In. There's me. That's me. I was a looker, wasn't I? I was a looker when I was 59, wasn't I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, is he, is he making you watch that film again? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's brilliant. I, I'm so happy no. for you, Dave, because it couldn't have happened to a nicer man. You're an well, absolute it's very nice gent of, you to of say a man. So. You're a brilliant well, man. you're a gentleman as well, Mr. Oh, Moon. We'll have to share a flat again sometime. We'll have to share a flat with none of the kids this time, just the two of us. Just the two of us. Yeah. I'd sit in your lap. Just the two of us. <laughs> we can make it on our we own. We try, just, just the, the two, two of us. us. Just the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, listen, thanks for... for uh, well, I've got to go on a school run now. I've got to Have put you? my daughter up. Oh, yeah. There you go. Macy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got me, I got me, um, I got me um, senior's real card as well today, which I'm really proud of. Are you serious? Ah, yeah, I got that today, yeah. Woohoo! Woohoo! It's all, it's all happening for you. It's all happening. Palm door. Senior real card in the totties just coming at me like crazy. There's nothing more than a woman likes a palm door and a free real travel. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks for chatting. You're welcome, man. I'll, I'll talk. I'll speak to you soon. Talk to you Take soon. Take care, man. All right, good luck, Dave. Bye. Bye bye. Yep, uh, there you go. That was the brilliant Dave Johns. Uh, so I'll be heading off tomorrow to the Craggy Island Festival. I don't know when you'll be listening to this, but uh, the Craggy Island Festival is taking place from the 15th to the 17th of July. And I'll be doing a gig with uh, Michael Redmond, who is Fatherstone. I'll be doing a couple of gigs with him on the Saturday. And that night I'll be performing with the Afters. 
and we're doing a lot of uh, stuff from the I'll be singing and they'll be playing and they'll be singing as well and we're doing a lot of stuff from the 80s and 90s music by well the Clash the specials we'll be doing Ghost Town obviously and the Pulp uh, Pulp just Pulp uh, Oasis and Blur oh and uh, Depeche Mode all that kind of malarkey Oh, New Order, of course. Uh, I can't wait. So that'll be amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And there's a tent there, a circus tent. We're playing in that. There's DJs. There's Fergal Darcy. And he is uh, broadcasting his show live there from Craggy Island. And there's a sports day on the Saturday with all sorts of uh, odd sports like binocular soccer, uh, egg and spooning race. Uh, there's a whole pile of... Um, uh, games you can do like a treasure hunt for the whistle there's a lovely girls competition and a blind date for nuns and priests eee, I just can't wait I'd be good crack and loads of great bands and loads of great DJs and uh, just general uh, father Ted crackery and that's what I'll be doing for the weekend it'll be my fourth festival in five weeks and um, I'll, I'll be fine uh, and I know that the weather's going to be good. It'll probably be the first one that the weather's going to be good, so it's going to be great crack. And then I come back on the boat on Monday morning to Doolan, drive up to Galway and do the lunchtime show in the King's Head for the uh, Galway Arts Festival. And on Tuesday, I'm recording a live podcast from Boyles in Slane. I am not sure exactly who the guest, but it could be Jimmy Smith from the Bogey Boys, who's a wonderful, brilliant guitarist and has played with some of the most incredible artists in the world. Uh, uh, so thanks for listening. Thank you to Daniel Rooney for the music. Thanks to Andrew Mangan for producing. I will see you. Thank you to Jack Cody's for the sponsorship. And uh, I'll talk to you next week because I will either have the podcast with Jimmy or I will have one with Barry Crimmins, the uh, American comedian who I will also be interviewing over Skype on Wednesday. Thank you for listening and please get in contact with your suggestions. Oh, yeah, and I did an interview with John Spillane. Actually, that's probably going to be out next week, the John Spillane interview. Yeah, that's who. Yeah, I interviewed him down in Cork and he played a song. That was fantastic. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. And, and if you have any more, any more suggestions, John Spillane was a suggestion from a listener to uh, to interview him uh, so if you have any more uh, suggestions uh, anybody uh, email me at mjoerooney at gmail.com or you can get me on the website www.joerooneycomedian.com get me on my twitter at joerooney1 yo okay see you next week bye Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer.